1: And welcome to the NXT Takeover in Your House review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, here to review everything that happened on last night. NXT Takeover in Your House pay per view. But before we get into it, for a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to what I'm called Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, but also AEW Dynamite, and of course, pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on a wrestling culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick's review, Takeover in Your House. What do you think of the show, Sidg? Well,
2: well well, well, well. I didn't particularly like it. Um, our esteemed colleague, uh, Michael Hamflet is off today enjoying some personal time. Um, so the usual balance of guy who's pretty much done with a presentation of this type of wrestling versus the person who still really wants to believe that has potential to be good is a little bit askew. However, he did tweet, um, for those who don't follow him, and you should follow him, at Michael Hamflet. He said the following, seven hours ago. Glad to see lots of people really enjoyed NXT TakeOver. Always enjoy seeing genuine enthusiasm and good faith discussion on the TL. I thought it was absolutely boring as from start to finish in the CWC. He's bulldozing the second they're back out on the road. I thought it was a little bit better than that. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, you know, he would probably say if he were here and present, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but... There were certain things I think, very few of them I might add, were undeniably good. Some of the work, some of the athleticism, for example. But I'm echoing that opinion. I'm thinking this is the worst takeover literally ever. Um, are Match quality-wise, if we're going to be really nerdy and really pragmatic about it, there were probably some takeovers in the early run Mm. that weren't as good as some of the action, for example, that you saw in that main event. And yet, feelings-wise, which is what's meant to be important, the atmosphere is always far more incredible. I understand circumstances are different, um, but the feeling, the atmosphere, everything overall, this takeover. So realistically, I think this is the worst takeover of all time. There are, there were, sorry, very few moments where I felt oh, I'm watching a takeover here. And this is really awesome. Like, it just felt like not a takeover. Mm. It just really didn't. What do you think? Because you're the higher guy, Willborn, And I'm interested in someone who's not very numb to this.
1: Yeah. First of all, I think the crowd were absolutely dreadful for this show. And I think you can't just turn around and say, oh, it's because it was kind of crap. Because it wasn't crap. Like, they were just dead. For how much they were banging on about all the people they packed into the CWC. It was akin to what they normally have, in my opinion. It was surreal, that, first and foremost. And I. the thing is, I thought this show was fine, which is really damning it with fame and praise. In terms of the fact of, you know, this wasn't a bad show, in my opinion. It was a show that I will probably not go back and watch any of the matches of, which is... The worst thing you can say about a takeover, really. Like, yeah, I I don't think it was anything to write home about. I cannot wait, as as Hamlet alluded to, and you uh, will no doubt talk about more for them to just get back to classic takeovers, but that's also not really the fault of of you know anything, it's restrictions, etc. etc. Uh there were still bits that I enjoyed during the show, and there was nothing that I was sat there akin to watching a main roster WWE pay-per-view where I'm like, oh my God, this needs to end right now. Um, There was some intrigue uh, and, uh, you know, I was annoyed at some results, but that's probably going to feed more into the storyline. So that's probably the right decision. If you can probably work out what I'm alluding to with that one, Uh, the main event, I you sort of knew where it was going quite early on, but I I did have quite a bit of fun with it, Despite, if, but I did have to put it one side, and no doubt we'll talk about this, the age-old rule that applies to multi-man matches of just like, well, I guess they're just laying on the outside right now. The, aside from Cross, it wasn't really like they had anything that took someone out of the match permanently. It was all just like, right, get rid of Cross, and then we'll just do a spot with you two or you three or whatever it may be. But the spots were quite enjoyable, even if, I could sort of see, like I say, where the whole thing was going early on in that match. But let's dive straight into it. Let's talk about the matches. Because I the opener, unsurprisingly, was quite enjoyable because look at the guys involved in it. MSK, Bronson Reed, uh, and Legada, Duff and Tazma, that being Santos Escobar, Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wild. And the story of this match, everyone's afraid of Bronson Reed, which, yeah, look at him. That makes sense. And it was, it was quite fun. It was really enjoyable the way it was sold of... You know, Escobar wanting to face anyone except Reed, despite the fact he wants to take his title off him and him tagging in. I think, you know, Raul Mendoza uh, and Wacky Wild have really surprised us over the last few months in terms of they're no longer just sort of, well, not that they were really, but we assumed they were just going to be sort of the the crap heavies of this stable. And they were, they've been so much more than that. But their, their facials here are just like, you know, their boss is going, right, get in there and beat him up. And they're like, him. I don't want to face him. I want to face the tag team champions. That's the wall I'm here for. But yeah, the uh, the story of that uh, early on in the match was was, I mean, they tried everything and they could barely knock him off his feet if they were lucky. Uh, I did like the the bit with uh, I think it was Carter Nash, Carter moonsault to the floor. Wild takes Carter out on the floor with a dive. So then both uh, Mendoza and Lee take a dive out to the floor, and Bronson Reed of all people takes everyone. Friend and foe out on the outside. Um, eventually, uh, Eligado del Fantasma take control. Uh, they get a two count off for a top rope Hurricane from Escobar. 450 from Wild, that gets a two count as well. Then Reed comes back in and runs wild, hits a double Samoan drop on Wild, wild and Mendoza, which was great. Uh, Escobar comes in, hits a Mishinoku driver. Carter, though, just gets in to uh, to break it up and then they do that high low from wilder mendoza on car and wesley has to get in and i i i didn't really bite on any of the near falls because i mean you and i talked about this and Hamlet and i talked about it on the preview uh, for the show we went into this thinking well that title's not going to change hands that title's not going to change hands and neither is that one um and so it was difficult even for me to think oh maybe this is going to be it and in the end we were we were quite right <laughs> The bit with Escobar—he goes to the outside. He gets the North American Championship. He fires up, and then he just gets smashed. But this time, Reed doesn't sandwich him uh, against the barricade. He runs through it, basically he destroys it. They—they they clatter through it, it explodes, and they—they just dead out there on the floor. Uh, and that means that it's now MSK versus the rest of Legada del Fantasma. And we know what happens there. Uh, Mendoza gets hit with a super kick, assist a blockbuster, and then Reed comes back in. He's recovered. Takes down the straps. Tsunami! One, two, three. The winners take all, but they came in with the titles to begin with. What do you reckon to the opener, message?
2: Right. I'm going to say the nice thing first, because I don't want it to get buried which it probably will do um, in my analysis. Like I thought this was a good to very good match. Yeah. I almost felt sorry for it in a strange way. I think the whole layout was designed to be f- more fun than it was great and exhilarating and dramatic like on purpose. Mm. I legitimately thought watching this, oh, it's a shame that the crowd are reacting in a really subdued manner because this match was built purely like for the hollow, oh, this is awesome, NXT's, Almost back to its former self, at least physically, in terms of the, the the fan layout. There wasn't the difference between full sale and this setup of the Capital Wrestling Center. There was they weren't remotely dissimilar. Mm. Similar amount of fans. Some of them had masks on and they were behind a cl- plexiglass, but like the amount of people there wasn't remotely dissimilar to what it would have been in a normal full sale, And we know how loud that can be. Maybe the people there were just understandably tentative about going back, but, you know, they're from Florida, so I can buy that for a second. I'm just spitballing. <laughs> um, yeah, really subdued. I think the match was laid out to the point where it wasn't particularly elegant in how they were trying to get the dives in. And um, There was one sequence where one person from Ligardo would perform a dive, stand there, celebrate with the idea of the second one's coming and it was like subverted each and every time and all built to Bronson Reed doing his dive. Mm. I thought, you know what? That is basically a house show spot because they looked ridiculous Mm. not expecting to eat a dive but that's fine. It was just boom, 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 dive, 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 excuse. Um, The Simone drop was an impressive physical feat but again, the wires were so obvious like he essentially draped himself over Bronson Reed's shoulders like (laughs) And at one point, I saw a rest hold get applied at 12 minutes. I'm thinking, don't do that. Mm. At the 12 minute mark in a match of this genre, I should be I apoplectic in excitement. I should be having a conniption fit. I should be popping like a daft little mark and quite get that feeling. Um, but yeah, I thought they thought, you know what? Fans are back. We're going to have loads of fun with this. At the expense of everything making perfect sense or everyone looking like they want to win but come on, fans are back, let's have some fun. Hmm. I think this would have cleared the four-star barrier if that atmosphere received the layout, but I just got this weird dissonance, and yeah. I got it all new. Yeah, that, I can't get over that crowd. Considering, you
1: know, very different scenarios, but the way things are like Mania and Double or Nothing were received, it was like, take over, guys, come on. And like, this, is a, this was the perfect opener for that, but for whatever reason just didn't come across in terms of in terms of crowd reaction. Uh, we cut backstage uh, for a storyline that we'll, we'll get to at the conclusion of this podcast. Uh, cool cattle rallies there, and he's saying it's a good day for a fight, and then he gets heckled by Johnny Gargano and the rest of the way. A brawl breaks out. There's quite a few of these on the show, because bloody hell, William Regal just can't get this show under control. But we'll talk about that at the end, because this is what it's all leading to. Put Todd Pengill on TV forever he did a segment backstage trying to load a VHS tape to show us the build for Xia versus Mercedes Martinez uh and gets told no it's just just tell the truck to play the clip like you don't have to rewind a tape and put it on long play or anything like that I just I I love him and I sense you know Hamlet really enjoyed that and this there's been noises made by him regarding more appearances in NXT and I certainly would not be uh, against it. What
2: do you reckon to, to Todd Pettingill, Sage? Um, I've got a lot of nostalgic affection for Todd Pettingill, an uh, unabashed dork. Mm. And honestly, given what this company has become in the years and years and years and years and years and years since he was a full time regular, like it's just an injection of wholesome energy. I don't necessarily think it's the best strategic move to have someone of his particular disposition all over the show um, for. long, long time, but I don't know how much difference he would make if he was like a full-time backstage interviewer or whatever. Someone of his, like someone who does his job isn't going to affect the quality of the show. The commentators do and God damn it, we will get to them, but I'm going to save my show long disdain for the, for this commentary team in terms of the personnel and the, the tone that they are instructed to, to talk within for one specific match, but it was an all my problem. God damn it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I suppose the only thing I would say with the whole Todd, Todd Pettigill thing, I loved it. Like you say, it does nothing to harm the show whatsoever. And whether it be, I don't know, maybe it's a bit convoluted to have him have a segment each week or like an interview segment or whatever it may be. But yeah, it's an occasional recurring appearance would be nice. But as I said those words, I just thought, Oh, no, actually, it's WWE. Within about four weeks, they're going to have someone bully him and make him look like a little bitch. And i just, maybe, maybe once. I would love to know what, like, and this is a rarity, the younger viewers of NXT would have thought if they, you know, don't know the wider nostalgia are In Your House, and the first thing they see is Doc Hendricks' big face going, don't go there. I'd love to know, <laughs> is that guy? But anyway, next
2: there are up. people on the internet right now called <laughs> guys, God, can you imagine if the IWC was here and Triple H was doing his thing in 2003? Say, like, what? So they're going to be mystified? Like Todd Pentengale? Honestly, in Doc Hendricks to these people, there might as well be Jim Londos. <laughs> like Schmidt, Yeah. Yanye. Like, they've got any idea. no idea? I don't know. So, mystified is my answer to your question, Wilbur.
1: Xia mm. Mercedes Martinez next, though. I don't know what I expected from this match, but I, it's, I, I didn't expect this in terms, just in terms of the way it played out. Uh, so, they, they brawl Mercedes Martinez's She's generally getting the upper hand, but Xylee's just throwing everything. She's got a really, really, you know, hard hitting stuff. Uh, she pushes Martinez into the ring post shoulder first, but then she injures herself trying to attack. I think she kicked uh, the, the ring post and injured one of her legs. So that allows Martinez to come back into it. Butterfly suplex, but Lee comes back with an exploder. Martinez dodges a corner attack. She gets a cliffhanger. She gets a two count. Uh, Zile at this point is getting battered because it's Mercedes Martinez and she's mint. She's so good. Uh, so Boa, who's there, uh, has come out with, with Uh Boa pulls her out of the ring to try and save her and, and allow her to sort of gather herself again. Martinez just comes out and goes, get out of the way. Xylee uh, goes for a but she hits her back body drop on the floor. And then in the midst of all this, the distraction, the interference, the shenanigans, whatever you want to call it, Martinez gets back in the ring. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, cyclone kick from Xia Lee. She gets the victory, surprise victory in like seven minutes or something like that. Boa throws Lee a chair after the match, but Martinez kicks out her legs, grabs it off her and batters both of them with it. I really like the way that Boa's getting between the ropes and she just went, nope, like that, and starts nailing Xia Lee. And then Mia Ying, the uh, dragon thousand-year-old thing, she appears back on that throne on the ramp. Martinez stares at her, she offers her out for a fight, she comes down towards her, she gets grabbed by the throat, fights back, but then uh, Mei Ying grabs her by the throat and hoists her off the uh, off the walkway into the barricade, and that
2: is that, Sig. Yeah, I've got, of all the matches on the show, I struggle to form any kind of firm opinion on this. Hmm. something about the length, the Way it was arranged with the shenanigans, and the it just felt like a TV match. Yeah, because in terms of, like, they presented it as, like, this is Xia big revenge for the,
1: the Mae Young, and you meant to, it's meant to be, we talked about this on the preview, it's meant to be, like, not necessarily what she's learned in the interim, but the spooky powers she's developed by this torture she got put through by uh, Tian Sha. And it didn't, it just, yeah, it was like, oh, she... Fighting through the pain, I suppose that's an element to it. And th- then she just nailed it with a cyclone kick and, and won. And that was that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to think of this. The storytelling was not particularly great, just developed kind of a my turn, your turn. Like, I just didn't get invested or like compelled into watching it at any real point. Some of the individual moments look good, like the, the cyclone kick on the finish looked great, but ultimately. How much does one move matter when you haven't been sort of sucked into the drama like throughout? Just felt a bit spotty, a bit drab. I just felt like weirdly distanced from it. Um, They wanted that thing at the end to be like this huge, holy moment. This mythical ancient being is actually doing something. Mm. Like, anyone reacted for it. And that's such an indictment. They've been building the mystique of this smiling, mailing, Sorry, I uh, didn't catch the pronunciation, which is itself a problem. They've built the mystique of this character in the anticipation for if she might do something or when she might do something. And as I've said all along, like unless she's the second coming of like the greatest women's wrestlers of all time, like it's going to look ridiculous mm. because of how powerful she's meant to be as this presence. And like months and months and months they've hired animators to do this. They've invested loads of TV time in this. And just it just felt totally flat. No one cared. And I guess it looked halfway cool. But how many times have I seen someone thrown into a barricade? It's not like this this dragon's born secret. The dragon told me this is going to really hurt someone. Like I saw someone get thrust into a barricade in an even better spot, like literally in the match prior. But yeah. Or we were talking about, like, do people like this? Is it good? Is it just a long-term storyline? And we forgot, with it being WWE, the base level requirement for what that should... It just didn't work. And you'd think, Jesus Christ, they've put enough into this. Uh, All of this fell totally flat for me. And I just can't help but feel like they've wasted their time a lot
1: yeah I, you're right about the barricade thing I did, did the whole it was just sort of like oh you know i wasn't i'm not certainly not crying out going oh do some spooky stuff with smoke or venom or you know whatever it may be but like i say just throwing her off the ramp at least throw her, like through the ramp even if, like, you're like, hang on, she only lifted her up slightly, but somehow she, this with this supernatural power she's got, she can really generate it on the throat. It was just like, oh, that's that. See you on Tuesday sort of thing. I was like, uh, indifference, and that's not what I want to feel because I've I've really enjoyed this Xia Li character and this this whole Tian Sha stable. So, yeah, in terms of, like, sacrificing someone like Mercedes Martinez, although this may continue, of course, it felt like a bit of a waste because we always say, I mean, she's never gonna do great things in in NXT in terms of being allowed to, obviously wrestling while she's great. But she old in the eyes of WWE, and therefore that's the role she's she has to play, unfortunately. But yeah, even so, the name the name like Mercedes Martinez, it felt like, did you really need her for that? Like in terms of like you say, if the story was, oh my God, she's got this death kick that comes out of nowhere. It's like, well could have a face anyone to demonstrate that sort of thing. And I know they have already, but...
2: Yeah, that's the issue. Like, they've done your, your rank and file. And if you look at the investment they've placed in this character, you can only do that for so long before it just goes totally flat. The idea now is they want a respectable, respected senior presence to act as a bridge to that main event scene. And honest evidence from Xia Li, I think it's in-ring. And in terms of how seriously it's being taken it's a massive step below that, that absolutely like huge highs that we've seen from the nxt women's division over the years
0: one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com ready to pop the question
2: Before
1: the Million Dollar Championship ladder match, we got a quick promo from Tommaso Champer and Timothy Thatcher. I love these two now. They just shouted a lot and said, in 48 hours, they're going to show everyone how dangerous they are. And then uh, they got a lovely vignette uh, from Ted DiBiase uh, discussing the, the legacy of this Million Dollar title. He comes out, he's got this glass briefcase with the title in, and he sits down at ringside to enjoy these two men fight out for daddy's attention i suppose uh similar sort of story you see in a lot of ladder matches to start this off i mean grimes was great with the taunting and stuff and the early uh wrestling sequences but you know, two-man ladder matches we've seen a lot of them over the last year or so um they fight they keep trying to get, grab ladders and get them in there's a pull and push and twatting people with ladders etc etc uh eventually grimes uh Nails Knight out on the outside with a ladder and, and thro- throws him into the barricades. But then Knight reverses it and does the exact same with him, and just starts battering Grimes all around ringside. Uh, they fight back. They set up in the midst of all this, lots of different ladders for spots. Uh, Grimes counters one of LA Knight's moves with a German suplex into a ladder. tries to hit him with a la- uh, tries to hit him with another ladder or you know hoi him into another one. But Knight moves out of the way and hits a neck breaker onto a propped up ladder. Oh, that looked like it sucked for both men. Uh, Knight leans uh, another one up against the ropes. He puts one on the top turnbuckle. uh, But Grimes, of course, reverses Knight and Knight eats what he's just set up face first into that uh, ladder propped up on the turnbuckle. Uh, Grimes looks like he's in control, but then Knight, of course, pulls Grimes' hair, sends him into the mat, um, and then Grimes counters Knight by sending him in a back body drop into a ladder. Eventually. Uh, Knight gets hoied over the top rope onto that ladder bridge that they often have between the the ring and the barricade. And Grimes yells about going to get the gold ladder. He goes and grabs it, brings it into the ring, uh, gets up there. Knight catches him, though. Knight's recovered. They fight at the top. They both fall off. They go down, double down. Uh, Eventually, uh, they are brawling on the outside. Knight whips Grimes into a ladder, which he just climbs. Then Knight pushes the ladder away, but Grimes climbs onto that scaffolding that they often have at ringside and jumps off with a crossbody. Grimes looks like he's going to get in there and climb up that gold ladder, but uh, Knight gets in there, tries to powerbomb him. Grimes, Rana, shouts, To the moon! Uh, Nearly just gets his hands on the championship, but Knight pushes the ladder over, and uh, Grimes crashes onto another ladder bridge that's been set up on the ramp. L.A. Knight climbs up. He unhooks the championship. L.A. Knight is your new million-dollar man. I was sad with the results, but I can kind of see where they're going with this. How does this rank in terms of recent ladder matches? Because we've had a lot, Sig.
2: Well, that's the problem. Um, I find it difficult to rank this ladder match because we've experienced such ladder match fatigue Mm -hmm. that... I could see the finish coming like a mile away, like one mile away. I watched that exact finish or a variation of that finish because I think it was like a stack of four tables, like at Extreme Rules 2008, or One Night Stand 2008 with The (laughs) Undertaker taking the exact same bump. And it's like 13 years after that now, if my math is correct. Mm. You knew that was coming, you saw the back body drop coming. Because the, the, the form of these matches has been cannibalized to such death that you feel like resentful for getting bored because they worked their arses off, that endured like loads of like just awful looking punishment. Hmm. The, the back body drop weirdly looked tame. I don't know what happened there if the ladder hadn't been gimmicked properly, but it did not explode in half. Hmm. It just kind of just splintered a little bit. It still would have sucked to take, and some of the other stuff in this match looked like it absolutely sucked to take. I really enjoyed early doors. Like there's a childish element, a playfully childish element to this dynamic and the storyline going into it that I quite enjoyed how it was sort of folded into the match when there was sort of like playing Tug of War over the ladder. Mm -hmm. It's like it was almost verging on what I ultimately wanted from this, which was a comedy ladder match or a comedy match of some kind before it fell into the tropes. Um like the bump at the finish, I hate burying it for being unoriginal because it looked awesome and it looked like well committed. But sword coming from a mile away, the fact that Cameron Grimes spent loads of time dithering with his catchphrases and getting a different colored ladder as if that means anything—it's <laughs> it, like a babyface. He's just an idiot, mm. and I know he's that's his character. But it's kind of death for a babyface to be an idiot. You can do this as a heel, but not as a babyface. Like my, I've got deep concerns for him going forward. Um, I did like the creativity of when the ladder was going to go against the scaffold, but it turns out he was able to scurry up and do the high spot. Like any kind of creativity you get in a match like this is welcomed because as I've just said extensively, my God, the tropes are just there. It's not their fault that NXT in particular have done 1 million ladder matches since October 2019 but at the same time, they've done a million ladder matches since October 2019. My, I promised a burial of the commentary team, right? Oh, God. And I'm going to give it... There, there's a moment, and it's when Cameron Grimes skins the cat having Hurricane Ronald Drake over the ropes, uh, LA Knight over the ropes, and he motions that he's going to the moon. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After he did the Hurricane Runner, Beth Phoenix screaming right, and it doesn't work because she's been screaming the whole night. Screams. He's got a second wind. <laughs> it hurt my ears, man, shut up. And then Cameron Grimes goes to the moon, and Vic Joseph, who is funnily enough screaming, I think he screams when whoever he lives with says. Do you want some um, sugar in your coffee? No sugar for me, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) He he hasn't said anything in his life that he hasn't shouted Vic Joseph. Cameron Graham goes, to the moon. Vic Joseph goes, don't just say it. Be it. (laughs) And then Beth Phoenix goes, he is being it with new fervor. What does that mean? Oh my God, yeah. Someone desperately, I'm begging you. Desperately, someone needs to remove the thesaurus and the megaphone from her from her from her person. Mm. He is being at Vic with new fervor. No one talks like that. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, I do sometimes, admittedly, but it's. Uh, God. I don't commentate for two hours. You know what I mean, like. I don't shout all the time. Shut up, man. Stop shouting. I just, I can't handle it. I can't handle the shouting. It is absolutely... It's like if I, with my vocabulary and some of my turns of phrases, I can understand why some people think I'm a dick. I hold my hands up. But I'm not shouting them. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. shut up, man. Take the megaphone and the theosaurus away from Beth Phoenix. Vic Joseph needs, like to just be sat down, to, right? Can you just, just talk normally for an hour? But that's not what they want them to do because NXT has to be the intense mm. action brand. This must be reflected in the commentary and he is ordered presumably because everybody else has done it. Mauro was doing it. I just, here's your, here's your job description. You ought to scream everything for two or sometimes two and a half hours. Scream it, scream it, scream it. I can't deal with it, man. I can't deal with it. No, I completely get where you're coming from. I mean, be
1: like saying, Vic, you know when when Stu does the tsunami? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, imagine if he did that for the whole show. Like Stu gives you some night, like light, light, light and shade. He talks about, oh well, I've been involved in ladder matches, but I've never been victorious in them. They really take stuff out of you, et cetera, et cetera. And like you say, it's just, oh my God, he's got a ladder. Yeah, that's kind of the point of a ladder match, and it's two minutes in, so. Don't we get any hopes up in terms of it being over anytime soon? Yeah. How has he not lost his voice? I don't, I don't know. It's a very good point. It's a really good
2: cool... point. I don't know. Answer's on a postcard. <laughs> uh
1: let's move on because uh hit row, we've got a new song out on the hit parade, Michael Citrick. It's called Now You Know. They plugged that uh whilst Todd Pettingill was trying to get some merch plugs in. Uh, and then we got Raquel Gonzalez versus Ember Moon. I thought these two work great together. I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Um, We knew what to expect, really. They've sort of telegraphed it a long time. Um, But the fact that they've established that Moon hits that eclipse, Raco Gonzalez is in a lot of trouble, and Moon has been scouting the fact that, you know, Gonzalez is strength her one-arm powerbomb finisher can also be a weakness we got that quite early on in fact uh, in this match records gonzalez went for it uh, and moon hit her with a hurricane rana center into the turnbuckle um gonzalez though for the most part dominating early on moon went for a diving code breaker and just got caught and hit with a sidewalk slam and a vade twisting vader bomb moon though does fight back um she hits a code red she gets a, a submission hold on gonzalez and dakota Kai, who's there at ringside annoyingly helps racco gonzalez she pushes the ropes a little bit closer to her so she can get to them and uh and and stop the or break or break up the hold gonzalez and, and dakota kaya they're there sort of getting their thoughts together on the floor so out comes moon she takes out the champion with a tope suicider, and then uh, she gets a flat liner for a two count as they go back into the ring that distraction at ringside there will eventually cost Ember Moon. She's uh, climbing the ropes. Kai is there, and that allows Gonzalez to grab a superplex. Uh, and it looks like Gonzalez is taking control. Gets her up for that one-arm powerbomb. This time, Moon reverses into a cradle for a two-count. She uh, fights back. She gets a jawbreaker. She hits a diving co-breaker and an eclipse. This is it. One, two, Dakota Kai grabs Raquel Gonzalez's foot, puts it on the bottom rope and make sure the referee is fully aware of that. So finally, a Shotzi Blackheart returns to chase off Dakota Kai. She brawls with her. She, she sends her into the staging. She They fight off backstage. And then Gonzalez is on the apron. Moon uh, climbs the ropes. Tornado DDT on the ramp. Puts her back in the ring. Kick out. Goes for another Eclipse, but Gonzalez catches a snake eyes in the corner and then finally hits that one-arm powerbomb for the victory. Raquel Gonzalez retains the NXT Women's Championship. But what did you think of what they put together here?
2: It was nicely put together. Mm. That's, um, I'm thanking you for that segue because it was nicely put together and arranged as a match without like blowing me away. Or mm. reaching the absolute pinnacle of all time great women's title matches take TakeOver. But um, nicely put together is the word I would describe it. I really like how they worked around the choke bomb mm. um, because, as you said, it's like, like a strength and a weakness because it's convoluted in the setup. And how long it takes to set up mm. is worth it because it's an absolute death blow that no one can kick out of. But So that explains the psychology of the move. The reason why you take so long to set it up is because it's just an absolute game-changer, a game-ender. But at the same time, that setup is like a, a platform to reverse it and to do transitions in the drama. Like, this is possibly the nicest thing I can say about this match is that it's very much the same, the way they built it. It's like the one-winged angel and the rainmaker. Mm. What I love specifically about those two finishes isn't just that they look awesome. isn't just that they've been beautifully established, obviously the one-winged angel more so than the um, rainmaker, but the mere setup of the move because it's laboured, but with a purpose is that you can reverse out of it. You can do neat little character moments Mm. um, in the reversal process. Like, my God, I was at the Madison Square Garden ROH Supercard um, with new japan and what love about a move like this and i'm going to use the rainmaker as an example just because it's one of my favorites ever is that you can get your character over while escaping or reversing it you can do this in character like this is why they're next level jay white was about to eat the rainmaker but it was far too early so he just sat down on his arm and it's like that is awesome that's an absolutely awesome spot like people have Reverse Poison Ronard, like the one winged angel, like people have just elbowed him in the head like John Moxley. Like you can reverse these moves in character. So I really thought it was a neat idea to build a match around Ember Moon getting out of it, but it wasn't as good as any Ricardo Omega match, put it that way. Mm. Well done. Good match. I'll not remember this as a very no. good one or a great one in the weeks and months to come
1: uh another comedy segment with todd pengill he's playing karate fighters with dexter loomis and just sort of goes oh how's the uh how does the ladies treating you these days and dexter loomis just stops breaks Pettengill's karate fighter in his hand and well, pengill realizes he's probably overstepped the mark i don't know how they've turned my opinion around on dexter loomis but i was like oh goody dexter loomis is here now and they're doing it more with I saw something on Twitter. I think someone highlighted the hug between Dexter Loomis and and, uh, and Poppy from NXT and said, oh, if you actually look, there's like a hover hand or something. It's clearly more of a friendship hug than a relationship hug. And now Indy's there on Twitter going, wait, what? What's this? Yeah, just give me, give me Index. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, And then they announced that um, they're going to have the great American Bash TV special uh, on Tuesday, the 6th of July, for obvious reasons. Um, that's to look forward to on TV in a few weeks' time. And then we got the main event NXT Championship in amongst all this, by the way. They kept coming backstage and people were just fighting the story that we'll get to at the conclusion, as I said. Fatal Five Way, though, carrying cross defending the NXT Championship against cool Kyle O'Reilly, Johnny Gargano, Pete Dunn, sorry, Pete Dunne, and Adam Cole. And yeah, it was a ridiculous spot fest, this, but yeah, it was. It, unquestionably, this was more fun than I probably would have had. Had it been even, even carrying across Johnny Gargano, I think maybe I would have had less fun because it was just, like I said, you're ex- in my head, I'm kind of excusing the whole, well, hang on. What's Kyle, Kyle O'Reilly suffering with that? He's out for five minutes whilst all these others do spots. But look, it was four men going, right. We have to get rid of this monster and then maybe we can sort it out between the rest of us. Uh it starts off with basically each of them trying to take out carrying Cross. Uh, Cole and O'Reilly brought to the floor. So it's uh, Cross and Pete done. He uh, kicks him, goes for a guillotine, but Cross just hits him with a Northern Light suplex. O'Reilly comes in, fights with him, counters a heel, into a heel hook. Cross fights out of that German suplex for you. Gargano comes in, go, goes for the Gargano escape, chops down Cross's leg. Hurricane Rana gets caught in the corner, exploded suplex for you. And finally, Cole. Takes advantage of all this, kicks the leg out across his leg, uh, hits him in Um, But in the midst of all this, Pete Dunne pulls him out of the ring, puts him between the the ring apron and the the ring skirt thing, and everyone just attacks him. At that point, later on in the match, uh, Adam Cole basically baits Carry Cross out onto the ramp. Uh, Pete Dunn and Johnny Gargano get involved, and they just throw him through the door of the in your house set. Uh, but it's, it's it's all temporary stuff, this. They're taking him out to allow them to have little moments between the four of them, which were great in terms of just submission holes being counted into other things or people... Oh, well, I'll get into it anyway. Before all that... Uh, Cross keeps just popping back up like the monster you can't put down in a horror movie. He sends O'Reilly and Cole over the barricade. Uh, he power bombs Gargano into the ring apron, and then he hoys down onto everyone on the outside. Then it's just Cross and Gargano. Cross gets him gets hits an F five uh, for a two count, but Gargano makes a comeback. Tornado DDT via Adam Cole, uh, and he takes out Kyle O'Reilly with a with a dive. Spear on cross, diving DDT on Dunn, but he gets super kicked by Adam Cole. He avoids the last shot. Gargano escaped, but Adam Cole fights out. Cross is really angry now. He comes in, hits German suplexes on everyone. Dunn flips out, but uh, and that allows everyone to to just kick, just kick cross in the head, effectively. And Cole and Kyle O'Reilly they have got cross just, just hanging on the outside of the ring and they temporary pausing of what's going on between them and what has been for the last few months to double power bomb carrying cross onto the announced S which didn't break which i always love when that happens especially because he was just sort of splayed out on it look looking like right we finally put him down the four of them get back into the ring got and done hit uh, stereo super kicks, but then Dunn and O'Reilly have both got submissions, and they're looking at each other. And then they get out, and they start brawling. Uh, strike exchange between O'Reilly and Gargano. Brainbuster there. He goes up to the top, but Cole takes him out, and Cole hits the Panama Sunrise on Gargano. But Dunn pulls him out of the ring and hits him with a brainbuster. Carrying Cross has recovered in this time. He gets involved, gets in. Pete Dunn won. I really like this interaction and it surprised me. Carrying Cross and Pete Dunn. Carrying Cross gets up. He's fired back up. Pete Dunn shrugs in the center of the ring, offers him in for a fight. They go back and forth again here. Cross hits a German. Dunn hits a German. Dunn hits the bitter end, but Cross kicks out, which was, I didn't really bite again as a title change, but was an enjoyable near fall for me. Um, oh my days. This got mad at this point. Karen cross puts Pete Dunn in a cross jacket, but Dunn snaps his fingers to get out of it. Uh, Gargano comes in, he hits one final beat on Dunn. Cross puts the go- cross jacket on Gargano, but Gargano rolls over, cradles him, but gets a two count. Cross keeps a hold of the hold cole comes in last shot on cross he gets taken out by o'reilly he hits the diving knee on cross but cole comes back in to break up kyle o'reilly's cover on carrying cross stick with me at the back we're nearly there eventually o'reilly dodges the last shot gets the heel hook on adam cole looks like adam cole's just about to submit and then in comes carrying cross who grabs kyle o'reilly puts him in the cross jacket Kyle Riley refuses to try and escape from the cross track. He just maintains the hold on Cole, hoping, praying that he will submit, but he doesn't. And the lights go out for Kyle Riley. He passes out. He just, he doesn't really let go of the heel hook. He just goes limp. The referee notices this and calls for the stoppage. Karrion Cross retains, submitting, but not really submitting. Kyle riley just a referee stoppage. Karrion Cross holds the title high, and the audience just sort of goes, eh because that, they were crap. But what did you make of, of this, well, what it was, spot fest.
2: Elements of it were fantastic. And I thought the storytelling was, I it, some of the beats were inelegant. Mm. They are always going to be when you're doing a match like this, which is why there's fatigue and multi-mans across the board. Like, as you pointed out, the prolonged selling on the outside, it's like, well, what, how did he get taken out? Mm. We'd be scoring near falls at this point, much less selling if it was a normal match and he'd just done that. So it's, you know, the, the wires are so obvious and it's a little bit alienating. But then again, deeper into the match, like when they, those four guys, like the four really great wrestlers, uh, putting together sequences mm. and sort of like overlapping with each other. It was just some of the work was absolutely incredible. Like a PWG-style spot fest. Mm. But weirdly, like what makes those matches is this absolute white-hot crowd, hands stamping on the canvas and just going absolutely ballistic. That wasn't there, so it felt a little bit like deflating in that respect. But some of the work and the creativity were really, really impressive. I did like, if you're going to do something like this, it's that admire the commitment, even though I don't see the the sense in it. But you can't help but say like this match was designed to get carrying Cross over as an absolute unbeatable, invincible warlord, warlord, mm. so much so that Kyle Riley and Adam Cole are gonna work together. They're gonna settle their differences because they realize there is a if they stand a chance of beating this guy or even subduing him, they have to put those things aside. Like if nothing else. They are going all in on this carrying cross push, but like lingering over everything, like a graying cloud was the idea. Like I don't think carrying cross is particularly good. (laughs) So it's like I describe this as the wish version of the Royal Rumble 2015 Triple Threat. It's like the same like the same kind of storytelling where it's like, right, we've got an invincible monster. We need to team up, get rid of him at any opportunity and have this ridiculously urgent rapid sprint to try and just get this match finished as quickly and as creatively before this guy just rises from the depths, like the Lovecraftian horror that he is. That worked magnificently because when Brock Lesnar did surface, it was like, he's going to kill him. He's going to kill him. You just don't get that same energy from Cross. So I admire, there was a lot of detail going into it and There was a lot of convoluted sequences that worked incredibly well during the periods where Cross was down. But that whole terrifying feeling of "Oh, he's back! You're all doomed!" just wasn't there for me because Caroline Cross isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's fair. Some of the actual work in this match bordered on the incredible. I don't think the match was incredible at all. I thought it was very, very good mostly. Apart from the inelegant beats, where, as we've said, like you just you're you're just on the outside, mm. you're on the outside, and the reason why you're on the outside isn't because you're selling a beaten; it's because this is fake, mm. and that it's so bad for your investment. Look, it was a very, very, very committed approach to what continues to be a bad idea, and that was put on carrying cross over like no one else has been put over on nxt before Just love the duality of triple h here where like he's conflicted you can see the two sides to him one oh
0: uh, he's, he's a
2: big massive metal head he's everything i kind of wanted to be when i was a baby face mm. so let's push him right to the moon but the other side of him is i'm kind of trapped now i've got to give these guys work rate and great actions so that's what i've promised them so it was them two things sort of like the positive ends of a magnet or whatever, the ones that repel are, <laughs> pulling away from each other slightly. Um, it was just, you know, when you have to go to these lengths, when you have to put four super workers and make them put on a super working performance just to give your new guy something approaching a great match expected of NXT, like this match couldn't have crystallized to me anymore the idea of carrying cross doesn't work on this brand. No you have to put that much effort to get him in a match that? Triple H wants those five stars. He wants those four and three quarters. And this was his way of getting them on behalf of his new guy, carrying cross. And if you're having to go to these lengths to do it, just ain't work, does it? Lord knows where
1: you go from this on NXT. And I'm worried that we're going to get exactly what Michael Hanford predicted in terms of even arguably Kyle O'Reilly saying, well, I didn't lose the match. Like everyone else can say, well, I didn't get submitted or pinned. And I can say, well, I didn't submit either. I just sort of passed out. And I was kind of busy, if I'm honest. But regardless, we'll see how it goes. Um,
2: Match of the night for you? Oh, the opener. Because it was probably the most fun. There was better work in that main event. You know what? The main event was probably the match of the night, if I'm being yeah, perfect
1: I, yeah. I, I was umming and auring. And then as I was making my notes for this, I realized how long I've probably missed out a load of people's favorite spots from that main event because I was like, and then this happened and this happened. I was like, I'm going to be talking for like 10 minutes here. So I was, apologies if I rambled on, but I did try and cut it down as much as possible.
2: It was an incredible um, job I thought, Wilborn. I was yeah, thanks. exhaling at everything.
1: It was uh, it was even longer five minutes before we came on this podcast. But anyway, that wasn't even the end of the show. It was a surreal end to the show because there's Carrying Cross. He's holding the title up. You're expecting a little signatures problem in the corner of the screen, uh, but we cut backstage where William Regal, a sweaty William Regal, is just bloody thankful his night's over, presumably. Uh, and uh, the interviewer says, "Well, what you reckon to to take over in your house, Mister Regal?" And he said. Well, I've been GM of this brand for for seven years. I've never seen so much bedlam. I think it's time for a change. Michael Sidgwick, could we see William Regal, of all people,
2: leave NXT? I mean, I guess. Here's the thing. They've applied some thought to all of this. One cynical, one with an idea of, right, okay, well, we need to kind of make a change, maybe. They've realised that William Regal, and I don't get why he's such a big baby face. I get it. He's a... WWE legend in his own way, despite not having that great in-ring run, enormously respected, like top hat when he wants to be. I can understand how William Regal is received as this really beloved avuncular presence. I don't think that role is just who cares. I don't want to see people like getting separated by daddy. Hmm. Don't want to see daddy lay down the long hard pick of the law. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't want to see that kind of dynamic with grown men and women. In a wrestling show, I don't see it ever again. So I think people are mourning the idea that William Regal, this is like 200 people on Reddit, I don't think anyone really cares. Mourning the idea that this guy who they like and they are right to like is going away. So the five man wasn't just an excuse to wield a PWG four and a quarter star multi man match next to carrying cross to make carrying cross look good. The idea of the chaos and the, the individual confrontations. Backstage, it's all not just doing that on behalf of Cross, but they're accelerating Regal's exit from here. I've not been funny. There's been more bedlam in a more like dangerous bedlam in an NXT car park for those seven years and there has been over the past however many weeks. Yeah, like these are the same tropes with which they build storylines every single week on NXT. It's Chaos, it's Bedlam, it's Slipknot, it's Poppy, it's Mauro, it's Joseph. Ah! Bedlam is the brand, and he's now got a problem with it. Like, confrontations, car park abductions, the performance centre getting, like, collapsed within itself by Gargano and Champa. This is just the, the norm, isn't it?
1: Uh, I like the idea.
2: Sell this is something that he thinks is out of control.
1: Or certainly not all of a sudden out of control. Like, I like yeah. the idea that um, it gets to, like, 8pm on a Tuesday and everything's been fine for the rest of the week. And then, like, Festus, when the bell used to ring, clicks around 8 o'clock, bong, ah, flips the table. Everyone yeah. starts punching each other. It's just carnage. Um yeah, and like you say, like, oh, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. A few pull-apart fights between many were going to be fighting each other anyway in half an hour's time. Meanwhile, people getting abducted and, like, nearly dying in the car park as a result of attacks. No, that's fine. That's fine. But I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because it's an interesting turn of events. Obviously, we're not going to presumably lose William Regal, his backstage influence, because, like you say, he's, he's a legend uh, within WWE. Uh but the the early reports were like maybe it's going to be Samoa Joe and I was thinking sorry like, I get it I, I don't get me wrong I want to see Samoa Joe back on my tv as soon as possible wherever that may be but a releasing Samoa Joe and b then going actually let's get him back in a suit and that's what people really want from him you know we don't know his situation in terms of injuries etc cetera, etc cetera, and i do think he probably, well, I don't, uh, without question, think think uh, would question uh, if he had something to offer this brand. Obviously, he does, especially considering history on there. But it's uh, it's quite the change from William Regal to a Samoa Joe, potentially.
2: This is probably a talking point for the TV show preview, mm. which will obviously do tomorrow, and you can listen to them wherever you get your podcasts from. But my sense is that it's going to go one of two ways. I think Regal's is going to be gone because they realize that there's an opportunity to do something that he can't do anymore. They can either decide... Well, William Regal's beloved and all the rest of it, but like it's not exactly a draw. Maybe they'll put Michaels or Triple H in that role Mm -hmm. with the idea of you get to see a veritable WWE legend on this NXT show every week. So that's one direction they can take. Or Samojo kind of makes sense because maybe he can wrestle again at some point, whereas Regal can't. So I reckon they could either put a bigger star who's already there every week in the role of GM, or they can put someone who you think is retired, but it turns out they're not, and they can build to a big GM versus whichever one of the kids is making the most racket match.
1: Aye, we'll keep an eye on that one and we'll talk more about it, as you said, in the NXT preview podcast tomorrow. But let us know your thoughts on NXT TakeOver in your house on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Right, so you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at um, Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Loads of stuff still coming your way later on today. We're obviously going to have Simon Miller's Ups and Downs for Takeover later on. And myself and Sid are going to be reviewing AW Dynamite, as well as me and Andy Murray looking ahead to Monday Night Raw tonight. What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from for that one. But this has been the NXT TakeOver in your house review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us and we will see you soon.